This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. We will now have the scripture reading. So please take the time now to grab your Bibles and uh, you can flip them open to Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 to 9, which is the passage for today. Now the passage will also be displayed on the slides and I'll be reading from the NIV. Now, after we finish reading, um, I'll invite Pastor Andrew to explain this passage to us. So Haggai chapter 2, verse 1. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. I'll now invite Pastor Andrew to explain this passage to us. Pastor Andrew, please. Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's really good to have you all here today. Um, it's really wonderful that we can actually study God's word. And uh, so let's go to God in prayer now as we go to him and to ask him to really help us to understand what his word is saying today. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we really want to ask that you may help us to understand this passage. Help us to bridge thousands of years between us and Haggai. Help us to see that you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Indeed, you are eternal in your plans and purposes for us. So we pray that we may truly understand you. We pray that we may truly meet you in your word. We pray that we may be encouraged in every way. We may put aside our distractions and our fears and our worries so that we can really engage and meet with you through your word. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, um, today we are living in a period of COVID as we've uh, been hearing today uh, in the prayer time as well. But if it wasn't for COVID, I think there would be something else that uh, would be, I guess, our focus if it wasn't for COVID. And I think that thing would be the Olympics. Now, the Olympics, which are happening in Tokyo, uh, I guess we don't have that many Singaporean athletes, but you know, the few that we have, we are reading about them, we watch them on television. And the thing that we often hear about is the pursuit of glory, the pursuit of having the goal, isn't it? 
So I don't know whether you were there or, or not, or whether you saw in the highlights on the newsreels of Joseph Schooling, our previous Olympic uh, gold medalist who was swimming in the pool. And I remember uh, watching him uh, swimming and, uh, and feeling the sense of disappointment when he came last in his heat. And I think that that's what happens, isn't it? Uh, it's a very human response. Like even uh, the Minister of Culture and Community uh, and Youth, Edwin Tong, he wrote on his Facebook saying that, you know, we couldn't just support our swimmers when they're winning gold and getting glory, but then criticizing them or being very disappointed in them when they come last in their heat. I think that's very true. It's a very true sentiment that, you know, it's glory or disappointment. And so I remember watching uh, on uh, TV, just happening, happening to go past. It's not as if I'm very interested in rowing, but I remember wa watching this uh, rowing uh, race with this uh, woman who was supposedly uh, in the past the fastest woman in the water. And her name is Emma Twig. She's from uh, New Zealand. And I remember listening about her story before the race. And uh, in the 2008 China Olympics, uh, she came ninth. And then the 2012 London Olympics, she came fourth. And the 2016 Rio Olympics, she again came fourth. And how disappointing it must be, right? Can you imagine you go to three Olympics in the past, you were the fastest woman on the water, and every time you leave without even getting a medal. So finally in this Olympics, in the Olympics in Japan, she finally managed to win. And I remember listening to the interview which uh, was happening uh, after her event. And she said that uh, all these, uh, you know, all that uh, she had done in the past, all the disappointments of the previous Olympics in, in, in Beijing, in London, and in Rio, finally, finally, she got gold and it made all her disappointment worth it because now she finally got the gold medal. And I think that's a very human response, right? There's either glory or disappointment. And here, as we come to God's word, I think it's a very, uh, very uh, relevant thing for us as Christians. Because, you know, as Christians, I don't know about you, but I often feel that as Christians, there's more disappointment uh, than there is glory. Now, you know, it's not like we are, our church buildings are very glorious. Right? Our church buildings are very mediocre. Uh, it's not as if our congregations are made up of the who's who in Singapore society. Uh, even our ministry can seem very pale and pathetic in the eyes of society. I remember previously, someone once said to me, oh, you know, why do you want to give up your secular job? And uh, all you're doing is giving up in exchange for just talking to people about Jesus. And even praying and sharing the gospel in the world, people think, you know, what is that? Is that a very glorious thing to do? And even the results of our ministry also don't seem very glorious, right? You tell the gospel to so many people, you pray for hours, for days and months and years, and only a few people come to salvation. So the question that we can ask ourselves sometimes is, you know, why do we keep doing these things? Why do we want to keep serving God and doing the things that matter to God? And that's where we turn today to the book of Haggai chapter 2. So the book of Haggai chapter 2, it begins like this. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? 
Okay, so here we have three, three groups of people, right? Three groups of people. Uh, you have Zerubbabel. Okay, so I, I put the little pictures there. Obviously, they didn't look like that. So you have Zerubbabel, who was the governor. And then you have Joshua, who was the high priest. And then you have the remnant of the people. Now, these three groups of people are not just random groups of people because last week, when we came to the end of chapter one, the spirit had moved, right? God had moved the spirit of these three people, okay? Zerubbabel, the governor, Joshua, the high priest, and the remnant of people. And what were they doing? They were now building the temple. And so last week, we saw that work had begun on the temple, okay? So the dates are very important, so pay attention to these dates. So on August 29th, 520 BC, Haggai brought the word of the Lord to the people. Then 23 days later, at the end of chapter 1, on September 21st, 2020 BC, the people began to work, right? Zerubbabel, the governor, Joshua, the high priest, and the remnant people, they all started rebuilding the temple. And then 18 days later, we now come to Haggai chapter 2. And what Haggai chapter 2 now does is it brings another word of God to the people. And so what does God say? He says in verse 3, okay? Verse 3 says up there, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem like nothing? And indeed, when you look back to the former temple, right, it would have seemed to the older citizens, the pioneer generation, I suppose, if you want to think about it, that the temple, which they were rebuilding, and now they put the foundation stones, you could see what the temple was looking like, it would seem to them like nothing. So I want you to remember the dates, okay? So we're now at 520 BC. And remember last week, we, we did a couple of important dates if you want to understand the Old Testament. So in 586 BC, 586 BC, uh, Babylon had conquered Judah, the last remnant of God's people. And then they had taken the people out into exile. Okay, remember that? But at the same time, the most important thing which was happening, which is what we're referring to today, was the Babylonians destroyed the Solomon's temple in 586 BC. Okay, there was nothing left of it. It was completely obliterated. It was gone, right? And so what God now asks is he asks, who was there among you, right? The older people, the senior citizens, right? At least 66 years, 70 years before, who of you saw Solomon's temple and who, caught, who could remember Solomon's temple? Well, if there were these people there in the congregation, they would remember that the temple of Solomon was glorious. It was glorious, okay? So uh, these are some reproductions of the temple of Solomon's time. So obviously nobody, I mean, this is not real because we didn't have cameras then or we didn't have... Uh, you know, these are just reproductions. I think this is just like a miniature, okay, of what Solomon's temple looked like. And you can see even in the reproduction that it really does look like a glorious structure, okay? It doesn't really look like a glorious structure. The, the temple itself, okay, uh, was, was majestic. It was like the highest building apparently in the city, okay? Now, even... The inside was glorious. It's not just the outside, but the inside was inlaid with gold. Okay, the doors 
were inlaid with pure gold. Uh, even inside the, the, the cherubim were made of gold. And so when God asked the question, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look like to you now? Does it not seem like nothing? Then actually the question that God asked, does it not seem to you like nothing? Presumes the answer, yes, it does seem like nothing. So what in the past then was glorious, the temple, physically today what they were building was like nothing. And so the comparison really was then glory, now pathetic. Then glory, now pitiful. And I'm sure like any humans, like ourselves, as we watched Joseph Schooling come last in his heats, they would have felt disappointment. They would have felt maybe criticizing. Maybe they were like fair-weather supporters of Joseph Schooling and said, you know, what is this temple that we're building? Is it worth building all along? And so this is what God says now. So in verse 3 says, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. So here we see, first and foremost, I want to point out to you this idea of now, right? So he says, how does it look like to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, right? So God is saying, even though it looks to you like nothing right now, but yet, right now, be strong. And he speaks to those three groups of people again who are busy with the construction of the temple. Be strong, O Zerubbabel, the governor. Be strong, O Joshua, the high priest. Be strong, you remnant of the land. And why? Because I am with you. And this is so important for us to hear. And this is so important for them to hear. Because the motivation for building the temple was not for the results. I'll say that again. The building of the temple, the motivation for building the temple was not for the glory of the physical building. But rather, as we remember back from last week, why were they building the temple? They were building the temple so that they may offer acceptable sacrifices to God, so that God may take pleasure in it. They were building the temple, why? So that they may honor God. They were building the temple so that they would, because they heard God's word, they obeyed God's word, they feared God, and as a result, God's presence was among them. So God was reminding them that the service that they were giving him, the work that they were putting in, was not because of the physical glory of the temple, but rather because they were honoring God obeying God, they were serving God out of fear and knowing that God's presence was with them. Now, I remember a few years ago, I had a friend of mine who went to do uh, the ministry training scheme. Okay, So the ministry training scheme was where uh, you know people, uh, 
they, they, they're thinking of doing full-time Christian work, full-time paid Christian work. So they tried out for a little while, for probably two years. And so a friend of mine decided to do the ministry training scheme. But he only lasted six months before he went back to secular work. So I remember asking him, you know, why did you quit? You know, why did you give it up? And he said to me that he felt that he wasn't achieving anything or he wasn't achieving much. And he was a high flyer professional, right? So he was used to achieving things, you know, getting lots done, uh, getting lots of glory, I suppose, in the work that he was doing. But in ministry, he said, you know, he was working hard, he was preparing things, but he didn't see much achievement. And so he decided to give it up. And I think that was the attitude of the Jews, 520 BC. This, if this is how my friend felt today in his ministry training scheme, that's how the Jews felt in 520 BC. Because they were building this temple. It didn't seem like it was very glorious compared to the previous temple. But God says, be strong, right? be strong and keep working because he is with them because they're doing it out of obedience and out of glory for God and out of fearing God. So many years ago as well, um, somebody gave me this book called The Memoirs of an Ordinary Pastor, The Life and Reflection of Tom Carson. And it was written by his son, Don Carson. Now, Don Carson, many of us probably know. Don Carson is famous. Don Carson has written many books, many bestsellers. He's well known as a lecturer and a professor and a pastor. But Tom Carson was his father, and he was a missionary pastor in French Quebec in Canada. Now, he worked as a missionary pastor for the majority of his life. I want you to guess how big his church was, the maximum size of his church. It was maximum size, only 20 people all his life. Now, imagine being a missionary pastor and, and, and being the pastor of a church for less than 20 people for the most of your life. Think of all the prayers that you've prayed, which were never answered. Think of all the love that you showed to many people, which, were, which was not reciprocated. Think of all the visitations and evangelism and sharing of the gospel, which never resulted in people being saved and coming to your church. But yet, Tom Carson kept persevering in the work even to his dying day and even when he went back to secular work eventually because it was part of his obedience to God and he knew that God was with him in this work. And so this is the same principle here that we find in Haggai chapter 2. God tells them to be strong, right? To keep persevering in the work because it is God's work and God is present with them. Not because of the glory, the physical glory of the church. Now, the passage then goes on in verse 5, where it says, Be strong and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. And in verse 5, This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Now this word covenant is a very important word. Okay, So this word covenant is what underlies and is the background, is the theme, right? The word covenant here. This word covenant here is like the theme or the, 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 the background or the structure which forms the whole basis of the book of Haggai. And so covenant is the idea of a, a contract 
like a, a binding promise, sometimes between business people, sometimes between nations, sometimes between conquering nations to those who are subjugated. But here it, it, it describes the, the relationship between God and his people as one of contract, as one as covenant. And it's the covenant which happened between God and his people when God gave the covenant to his people when they came out of Egypt. And so this word covenant here covers usually a contract, a covenant contract, a commitment and a promise made. And so God makes promises to his people of his presence if they would make and keep the commitments that he has made with them. And so as we look to God's people, let's look now in the book of Exodus, which reminds us of the covenant that God made with his people. Okay, so then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nabab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near. The people may not come up with you. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses then took half the blood and poured it in bowls and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Then the Lord took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So the thing I want you to notice here is the place of the word, of, of the blood, sorry. The blood seals the covenant between God and his people Israel. They will obey and he promises to be with them. And so that's what he says here. He says, look, we have a covenant, we have a contract. So be strong, keep working, because this is part of the commitment you've made with me, and I promise to be forever with you. This is the covenant we have made. Now, this is really important, right? Because it then means that they are working on the temple. It's not because of the physical glory of the temple, but it's part of the promise or the conditions of the promise that they've made to God. Now, as we come now to us as Christians, I think it's very important for us to see that we are not the Jews living in 520 BC. We are not told to build a temple for God as part of our covenant uh, response to him. But we are now living under the new covenant. We're now not living under the law, but under Christ. Now, this is really important because the covenant we have with God now through Jesus Christ is a greater covenant than even the old covenant that the Jews had with God. And so, Jesus, when he goes to the cross, he inaugurates a new covenant us. And the blood that inaugurates this covenant is the blood of Jesus Christ himself. And so, Matthew chapter 26, it says this, And then he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, 
This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, because of the blood of Jesus Christ and the new covenant that's no greater than Christ, God promises us his presence, right? The presence of God is con- it's guaranteed to us because of what Jesus has done in giving us forgiveness. So in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And so this is the new covenant we have with God. Remember the past, the covenant is between the promises of God and the commitments that we have to make. Well, the new covenant is wonderful because the commitments are actually fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Right? God makes promises. The commitments are fulfilled by Jesus Christ in this new covenant. And so for us today, as we hear the words in Haggai, we're no longer under the old covenant, we're under the new covenant. But in the same way, we are also told to be strong and to keep doing God's word because God has covenanted, made a contract, a promise with us through the blood of Jesus that he will always be with us. Now, I remember um, many years ago, there was a pastor by the name of Archie Poulos. He was a Greek guy. He'd been converted in Australia and he was evangelizing and beginning a, a Greek church in Australia. And he shared one sermon that I heard uh, how uh, for many years, when he first came out of theological college, he used to do ministry for the wrong reasons. He, also, he used to do ministry because of his own glory. Right? He wanted to preach better than other pastors. He wanted his church to be bigger than other people. And that was the wrong motivation, he realized because he was doing ministry for his own glory. And we can do that too. We can think of having our church more glorious than other people, our ministries more glorious than other people, our Bible studies more glorious than other Bible studies. We sort of think of ministry and serving God like an, a, a pursuit of glory like the Olympics. But that's the wrong motivation, right? The right motivation is because of the covenant that Jesus has given us. Isn't that wonderful? That Jesus died. And by his blood, he gives us forgiveness. By his blood, he writes in a new covenant for us. And through his blood, all the commitments of the old covenant have been fulfilled in Jesus. And we now have a promise of God's presence with us all the time. So that's why we should be serving God. That's why we shouldn't give up, even though we do not see glory in ministry. Because of the covenant of Jesus Christ, the new covenant, where we are promised full access to God, where the gift of God's grace is so great that Jesus died, that all the conditions of the law have been met in him. So let's move on now to the last point. And so the last point comes in the last three verses. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Excuse me. 
in a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, <clears throat> the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations will come. I'll fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Now, I want you to notice here first that God is referred to five times, right? Five times as the Lord Almighty here. One, two, three, four, five, right? Now, the Lord Almighty is translated in the ESV as the Lord of hosts. And the Lord of hosts means like the Lord of the armies, heavenly armies and the earthly armies. He's a powerful God. He's a universally powerful God. But why is God described this way as the Lord Almighty, the powerful God of the armies? Because it says here that he is going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. He's going to shake all the nations. Now, when he means he's going to shake it, it means he's going to do a supernatural thing. Some supernatural thing is going to happen. And so what is the supernatural thing? Well, first up, he says he's, the desired of all nations will come. Now, the desired here, this word here, desired, uh, is actually a plural word. It's not singular. So I don't think it means the Christ, but it probably means treasures. And that's the way other translations Translated, the treasures of all the nations will come and I will fill this house with glory. And so what he means here is uh, he will bring silver. It says here, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. He's going to bring silver and gold into his temple. And this is what we see in the short-term fulfillment of the prophecy. And so uh, in, oops, sorry, went too far, one slide too far. So in, uh, in King Artaxerxes' time, recorded for us in Ezra chapter 7, uh, King Artaxerxes actually orders that the treasury uh, be used of the nations to give silver and to give uh, resources and gold to the temple. And for many commentators, this is the fulfillment of what Haggai is prophesying here. Now, I think as we come to prophecy, this diagram is really helpful and it's actually in your Bible studies, right? So that's why it's uh, really good to do the Bible studies. So I, I managed to uh, actually borrow or, or, or with, uh, with permission, take this uh, diagram uh, from uh, this uh, Bible study, which was written by this person, Luck Hill. And I think it's a really well uh, uh, explained uh, diagram where the prophetic word comes to the prophet and it can be fulfilled in a series of like mountain tops, right? So you have the lower mountain, and then you get the higher mountain and all the way up to the Mount Everest of the fulfillments. And so I think here, as we look at Haggai, we see there is a fulfillment in terms of a progressive higher and higher mountain top progression. So first up, we see that silver and gold fills the temple in glory in the Old Testament. But as we see here in this passage, when God says that the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of Solomon's temple, he's actually speaking of higher and higher peaks of prophecy. So we see the glory of Jesus coming into the world, taking the place of the temple. We see the glory of the church and we see the glory of the 
new creation. And so here in uh, this passage, in verse 9, uh, there is a greater fulfillment. It says the glory of this present house, in verse 9, will be greater than the glory of the former house. And how do we see that? Well, when Jesus comes in John chapter 1, verse 14, look at what it says right here. The word became flesh and made his dwelling, right? The dwelling is the, is the word tabernacle. He made his temple. He made his tabernacle among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Again, in John chapter 2, verse 19 to 22, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple now, raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. And so here, when you think about it, the glory of Solomon's temple, as great as that glory was, right? with the immense building, with the gold inside the building, it could never compare with the temple of the body of Jesus Christ. Because gold cannot compare to the glory of God himself. The created things cannot compare to the creator. As much gold as you want cannot compare to the glory of the presence of God himself in the person of Jesus. And so here we see, indeed, the glory of the temple in Jesus is greater than Solomon's temple. But the Bible also goes on. As we studied in the book of Ephesians, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, remember what uh, the prayer of uh, Paul was? I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. It's not our inheritance in the saints. It's God's glorious inheritance in the saints. So as we, Jews and Gentiles, are built into the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, into this living stone temple, it is glorious. Not because we are glorious, but because we are part of this glorious building of which Jesus the divine is part of. And lastly, as we come uh, to the eternal age, it says that in the new heavens and the new earth, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the lamp is its, is the lamp, sorry, is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. And here we see the fulfillment of Haggai chapter 2. Right? It is like the glory of the city is unparalleled because God the Father and Jesus the Lamb are its, you know, unrestricted by the temple into the whole city. And the glory of God gives it light. At the same time, the glory of the nations will be brought into it to make it really glorious. And so this is really wonderful, right? Because we see how the prophecy of Haggai chapter 2 fulfills itself in Jesus, the church, and the new creation. Now, I want to go on to say 
that uh, as we look at the summary of what we've learned today, it's all about being strong and doing God's work. Why? Because God's presence is with us. Because we have the new covenant in Jesus Christ, which promises God's presence with us all the time. And because the glory of this house, the church and Jesus and the new creation will be greater than the former house of Solomon, that Solomon built, sorry. Now I want to go on to say one more thing. And this really blows your mind, right? Because God in the Bible passages invites us to share in this eternal glory. It's not as if we live with eternal glory. It's not as if we are building eternal glories with our own hands. God invites us to share the eternal glory with Him. And the same ideas are there in the New Testament. In verse 13 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. See, the same ideas are there. The covenant promise that God makes with us that in Christ Jesus, we will be with him forever to be strong and not lose heart. And God invites us to share this eternal glory with him. Again, in uh, 2 Timothy 2, we see the same ideas. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. For God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect so that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So again, we have the covenant promises found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the exhortation to be strong and endure everything so that we may obtain eternal glory with Jesus Christ. And lastly, the same idea comes to us in this last passage, right? Be alert, self-control and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same sufferings. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Here the idea of strong is repeated, isn't it? Resist them standing firm. Be strong, firm, and steadfast. Why? Because God has called us to his eternal glory in Christ. So as we come to the end of uh, the passage, in conclusion, I want you to consider a moment the most gloriously decorated Olympian of this Olympics, right? Caleb Dressel. He won five Olympic goals. That's amazing, is it? Five Olympic goals. Now, when you think about it, the glory which awaits us as Christians, right? 
if we are strong and keep persevering in Christ and standing firm, that outweighs even the glory of Caleb Dressel. We will receive an eternal glory together in the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth. Even if you have the, all the glory of this earth, right? Uh, in the business world, your sporting team has glory, your nation has glory, it cannot compare to the glory which awaits us all. So I remember there was a pastor by the name of Bradley. I can't remember his second name. He was a South African minister and he had this, done a great ministry in uh, South Africa and he was asked, uh, how does he keep humble? How does he not seek his own glory? And he said, how can we measure our glory under the shadow of Christ? He said, when we put ourselves under the shadow of the glory of Christ, the cross of Christ and what he has done for us, in becoming God and in, in, in being God and becoming a man and shedding his blood and giving us a new covenant and fulfilling the conditions of the law, our own glory is nothing compared to the glory of Christ. And our own glory is nothing compared to the glory we will receive when we are in Christ in eternity. So let us truly be strong and continue to do God's work because God is with us. We do have the new covenant and we will enter into eternal glory in the present house when we go into uh, the new heavens and the new earth. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we really want to thank you so much. For even though our physical work may not give us glory in this world, but yet we are told to keep being strong, to keep doing your work, to do, keep serving you faithfully, because you are with us. Dear Father, help us to see the glory of the new covenant in Christ. How your son, who is fully God, came into this world and through his blood inaugurated a new covenant, a covenant of forgiveness, a covenant where in himself he would be faithful to all the conditions of the law. Dear Father, we thank you so much for the glory of Christ and the church and the glory to come in the new Jerusalem, the new Zion, the new heavens and the new earth. We thank you for this eternal glory that we will inherit. And so help us to be reminded to be strong and to keep working your work and serving you faithfully. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, thank you, Pastor Andrew. We will now have a short breakout session to reflect on the passage and the sermon. Now on the slide, you can see the reflection questions uh, that have been listed. First, what have you found challenging about, uh, from this passage? And what were you encouraged by? And the second is, what have you learned about glory? Now, the Zoom host will also paste these questions in the chat for easy reference. Once again, I encourage you to switch on your cameras and unmute yourselves to discuss the reflection questions. And so I'll let the Zoom host send us off to our rooms. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.